0: <clears throat> to Kids Church, ask them good questions, pay attention, and uh, keep them on their toes. Bye, sweetheart. What? That's really cool. Let's talk about after church, all right, because you're going to be late for class. No, I do the same thing when I get something new. It's all right, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want us to pray. Um, if, unless you've been living under a rock, you've seen what's happened uh, in the news this past week. And uh, so much has happened in, in Russia, Syria, and even our own country that we need to be praying about. Church, I, I charge you and I, and I would encourage you to make it a daily practice to pray for our country, our servicemen, and for countries around the world, even ones we don't necessarily like or care for. As we spoke about last week, um, hatred's not allowed to to exist within us as Christians, not hatred towards people. We can hate ideologies, we can hate uh, systems that manipulate and that um, take advantage of the weak and the poor and the downtrodden, we can hate all those things, but we have to have a compassion for people that transcends what the world can do. We claim that Christ has filled us and made us different. So there has to be something different about what we do. So we're gonna pray right now in light of all this for God's will to be done and for us to be ready to do God's will as he calls us. Father, we praise you and um, we read through your word countless times of nation rising up against nation, groups rising up against other groups. Father, it is it is our understanding that because of sin, war is a thing. War happens, and when, when people are taken advantage of, when they're gassed with nerve gas, when they are uh, slaughtered by the hundreds and the thousands, Lord, that Regardless of their nationality, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their sexual orientation, whatever it is, Lord, that would make them different than us, Lord, they are people that you have created and they are people that you went to the cross to die for. And Lord, we pray for them today. We pray for the nations of the earth right now that are that are so at odds with one another. Where there is corruption, Lord, we're praying that your light, the light of your son Jesus would expose corruption. Where there is uh, people being manipulated and people are being uh, taken advantage of because they are weak or poor or sick or whatever. They're the minority, whatever it is. Lord, may You be their strength, Father. For the churches in these regions of Syria and Russia and the Middle East and and, and even in our own country, Lord, may we return to You through prayer, Lord, and may we return to You in force, not not by forcibly taking what we believe to be ours, Lord, but by allowing Your Church by force to take down the gates of hell. Father, we praise you and we thank you. We pray for our enemies today. We pray that they would know you as their Lord and as their savior, that they would know you as their king and as their God. And Father, we are praying for a miracle that has rarely been seen, but we pray to you nonetheless because you are a God who can do such a thing. But Lord, no matter what you decide to do, we, pray for your will to be done. As we consider your son entering Jerusalem, as we consider all the things he could have done, we celebrate what he has done. We celebrate what was done because it was your perfect will for him and for us. May you be glorified, Lord, even in war, even in division, even, even in such atrocity, Lord, may, may these things work for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're in First John, I'm gonna read from Luke chapter 19 just to confuse you. Um, <laughs> this is the account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem some, you know, approximately 2,000 years ago. Verse 28 says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew new to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you where where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Just real quick. If the Lord tells you to do something, just do it as he told you to do it, like, I don't I, I imagine that if these guys tried to take this cult and gave them some other story that the authorities would have been called, but for some reason, they just followed the Lord and everything was okay. It says the Lord has need of it, and they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, and for uh, for all the mighty works that he had uh, that they had seen, saying, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord! Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples because Pharisees don't like loud noises that aren't directed at them. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so the first question I want to present to you right off the bat is how do you respond to Jesus? See, Jesus is not, and we are not leading worship on a Sunday morning because Jesus needs worship like he's up in heaven, uh, like desperate for you to just adore him and to bow down before him as though he's needy like that. He, he has this uh, codependency upon us that if he's not worshiped, then he gets angry or sad or moody or whatever. Jesus said, even if everybody's quiet, the stones are going to rise up because even they... I don't know if you've ever heard this term, dumb as a box of rocks. Even the rocks, the stones understand who I am. They understand that I'm not just a guy riding a colt, riding the the, the offspring of a donkey. I am a king entering into God's holy city. I am accomplishing the will of the father. I am the son of God and, and in essence, God as well, even the stones recognize this. The Pharisees could not, the Pharisees would not. The Pharisees did not like all the loud adoration that Jesus received. They wanted everybody to be quiet and to be more orderly and everybody stay in single file and, and, and stand when we say to stand and sit when we say to sit. And Jesus like, you don't understand. When I enter into a place Everything comes unhinged in the best of ways. You fast forward to the book of Revelation and before the throne, you have this multitude of people praising Jesus. Some, some analogies that John uses to describe it to us is like, it's like a sea of glass. Just a multitude of people. It's loud like, like peals of thunder, the noise comes up to Jesus. It's not only a choice that the people make to worship. They are by connection, by, by just being in the mere presence of Jesus, they are going to worship him. And for the men like the Pharisees, their hardened hearts wouldn't allow them to worship. Now I say that because we often look at Jesus and Christianity and our faith as a response or a choice that we make of our own volition. Meaning, meaning I'm gonna make a choice today follow Jesus or not. I'm going to make it like, like the same way we would choose. I'm going to have oatmeal or cereal, or I'm going to have bacon or sausage. Uh, I'm going to choose Jesus or I am not. And, and before we get too much into a Calvinistic versus Arminianistic argument, I want you to understand that yes, there is this choice to be made by you, but your choice is not the first choice. And that makes all the difference. This is what we're going to talk about today, and this is what 1 John actually is going to talk about. Um, not directly, but somewhat indirectly. It's what the Lord reminded me of as I was studying, as I was reading First John, and reading one of my favorite passages from First John. And, and I came in one way thinking, I'm going to teach it or preach it in this one way, only to, to have the Lord bring me back uh, from a different direction and a different perspective. First John chapter two, verse 12 says this, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray, Lord. Lord. Your word is good. Your word is perfect. Your word is infallible and pure and holy. And we as a people, we are not those things apart from you, but in you, Lord, we can read your scriptures and not just gain information, but be transformed. Today, Lord, our only goal is to unleash your word to be what it is, all powerful, almighty, through the Holy Spirit of you, that we might be changed to be more like your son, Jesus. We love you Lord, we praise you and in your name we pray. Amen. I love this passage because of the terms of endearment that that John uses to the people of the church. Uh, referring to the he doesn't just refer to just the young generation and exalt them because a lot of folks nowadays will say you have to you have to encourage the youth because they're the future of the church or whatever and if we can get them on board then so many more people will get on board so all their concerted efforts are on the youth and then some will say well no you got to you got to focus on families because they're like mini churches and if you get a bunch of those together then the church will grow And others say, well, no, you got to focus on the older generation because they've got wisdom and they've been through so much and, and they have so much to share and offer. And by encouraging all three groups, we are shown that from God's perspective, it's not any one group that's more important than the other. It's all of them together collectively Young people are as important as old people, and families are as important as singles and vice versa. Every individual within the church is needed and recognized and has a job and duty to fulfill. I've talked to folks who are elderly. They, they, they They can't work like the younger people can. Their backs physically aren't able to withstand the physical work that maybe younger people can, but, I find that they have so much time and their prayers are so important. You might say, well, I'm not young anymore. Yeah, and the young won't be young for very long either. But what do you have time to do? What has God laid on your heart? You have a role and a position to play within the church that God has created. Maybe it's to pray. Maybe it's to cook meals. Maybe it's to serve. Maybe it's to give. Maybe it's just to be an encourager. Maybe it's to have faith when nobody else has faith. Maybe it's to preach the word, to prophesy. Maybe it's to to do a multitude of things, but what is it? Your age does not limit you as to, what, uh, as to how God can use you or whether he will use you. He will use you. Jesus talked about there being uh, you know, common vessels within the house and, and then golden vessels within the house. In the same way that you have like your regular plates and some of you have like your fine china and you're not eating Pop-Tarts off the fine china. You know, that's not what you're using to just eat goulash on a, you know, on a Saturday night. That's when the fancy people come over, whoever they are, and and you want to, you want to serve them, or maybe it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or some celebratory holiday where you bust out the china or the silverware or something like that. And the Lord says they all have a place in the house. It's not that one's more important than the other. They're all going to be used so whether you see yourself as a, a clay cup that was fashioned by hand, or you see yourself as a, a golden spoon that was fine crafted by the master, either way, God wants to use you within his household. God wants to use you to do something, something that's probably scary, something that's probably outside of your comfort zone, but something that will fulfill you like nothing else will. And he'll do that in your everyday jobs, and he'll do that in your homes, and he'll do that in the marketplace, and he'll do that everywhere he, your feet may take you. John says there's a message for every single person here, and he's coming again against uh, false theology or false doctrine. He is attacking a group known as the Gnostics, and, and I don't know about you, but I don't have Gnostics knocking down my door, At least, at least not with a badge and like a sash and like an official form, like we're the Gnostics, and we wanna talk to you about Gnosticism. Um, chances are you don't have that happen as well. But we as a church, uh, South Bay Chapel but the, and the church in general, we do face false doctrines and theologies daily. Daily, we have something that intrudes upon what is true to try to vie and take the place of truth. And we as a people, we must have wisdom and discernment to be able to tell what is untruth or what is false and what the word of God says. You ever gone, and this happens rarely if ever, but you go to the store and all you've got is like a $50 bill and you're, 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 you ring up like $3 worth of stuff and you're like, I'm sorry, all I've got is 50 What does the cashier do? She picks it up and she holds it to the light. Maybe she has a marker. Maybe she has like a light she puts it under, but most likely she puts it up to a light. What's she looking for? She's looking for that strip in the $50 bill that is an authentication marker that this is the genuine article. The light is revealing the truth of that bill. If it doesn't have that or if it looks shoddy or it looks like somebody drew it in with a pen or a pencil, the light will expose that. And we as Christians, we've got to do the same thing. Here's a new teaching. Here's a new something. Here's some wind of doctrine that's just passing through. Okay, let's hold it up to the light of scripture. What does scripture say? Okay, scripture either lines up with this or it doesn't. Either it is truth or it is not truth. So you hear that there's a guy at an airport in Toronto kicking people in the stomach. Okay, let's hold that up to the light of scripture. I don't see anybody doing that. I don't see God commanding people to do that. And it sounds icky. I mean, it doesn't just sound weird. It sounds icky. And if some guy kicked me in the stomach at church, he's going to get kicked back, you know, as soon as I can get up. So I'm going to say this is false until proven otherwise. Okay. Come around. Church says, pray for your enemies. Oh, that sounds uncomfortable. You know what I don't like about my enemies? They're my enemies. And for most of you, your enemies, you probably did nothing to make them, right? At least that's your story. I didn't do anything. They're just my enemies because they're jerks. Okay, let's hold that up to the light. Does the word say to love your enemies? Yes. Jesus says, love your enemies. We love our enemies. Why? Because if they, don't, if they don't end being enemies with God, one day God's going to deal with them and it's gonna be much worse than if we were to have dealt with them. We wanna pray that they would find the Lord's compassion, that they would forgive and love and there'd be reconciliation. We're to pray for, even though they're wrong, even though they're, they may be manipulative and sociopathic, and they might just be the worst human being. Light of the word says, love your enemy. Okay? There are many ways to heaven. Jesus is just one—he's like a spoke on the wheel, uh, and Buddha is, and this guy is, and, and, and the guy from Mormonism, I can't think of his name, uh, him, and, and all of these different ways, they, they all kind of go to the same direction. You ever see the movie—what uh, was the movie with, with, with George Burns, where he was God? Oh God, yeah, it's called Oh God. But in that movie, that's how he explained Jesus was my son and Buddha was my son and, 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 and Muhammad was my son and, and this was my son. And, th- and everything points back to this central kind of generic God. Okay, what's the word of God say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one God. There is no other God. I share my glory with no one. Okay, false I, false teaching, false doctrine. All Christians should be rich. Jesus was poor. okay? Our leader was a poor, homeless guy who walked from place to place and and paid his taxes from a coin that was in the belly of a fish. Okay, so I, I don't I don't buy that doctrine. no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> some Christians will be rich, some will be poor. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I see rich people in the Bible. I see poor people in the Bible. I see the ones who glorify you know, Jesus and God with their riches. God appreciates that. Those who hoard, whether they're poor or rich, God's not crazy about that. We hold up any teaching to the light of scripture to see whether it is true or not. I was, uh, you know, one of the things that really intrigues me about the word is, is uh the gift of prophecy. And I don't mean the gift of prophecy like to tell the future. Um, although prophets of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament uh, would do things like that. Not necessarily like, uh, like a soothsayer would or like somebody who is uh, like a genie type of a thing or, or a, a fortune teller type of a thing. They would receive from God warnings to the people. If you do this, then this will happen. But if you don't, this will happen and they would they would know things and see things that they couldn't there'd be no earthly reason why they would know those things but this is beyond that this is people whom god moves to deliver messages, to deliver the word in a timely fashion. I explained it on Wednesday like this. On Sunday, or for Sundays and Wednesdays, I don't come to the word and try to ring out a message, meaning like, oh, I just, I gotta, I gotta teach something, so let's just, let's, oh, let's make something work, make something happen, and oh, here comes a Bible study, or here comes a sermon, and, uh, you know, it's, it's got clever points, and it'll last about 30 minutes, and that'll be good. No, for for any preacher any pastor who is going to come before our congregation and preach they've got to understand that there's a specific people at a specific time with a specific need that a very specific god is going to deliver to those people i believe this morning and i believe on sunday mornings that the prophetic word is being preached here at the the chapel whether it's me or pastor mike or pastor ben the kids are hearing this this is the word that we need now and for me as a as a pastor and a teacher and a preacher it's my job to to hear from God. What do they need to hear? What do I need to hear? You know, there's tons of good principles we can teach, but what's timely, what is in season right now? And what is in season right now is that we realize that we understand that God has done everything first. This changes everything about how we pursue life and Christ When we are taught that everything that is happening is based on our reaction, it leads us to legalism. It leads us to beating our head up against a wall. It it causes us to pray without ceasing, not, not to understand the will of God, but to try to make him do something that we want him to do. It leads us to burnout. It leads us to heartbreak because we're taught and told that if we just keep doing enough, then God will do something. The Bible flips it all around and says God has done everything so that we might be changed and different, so that we might be adopted into his family. Like a child who was orphaned, we now belong to a family. Not because we went and actively sought a family, but because the family came and sought us. It changes our motivation. It changes who we are and it changes our heart and our soul and our mind and our spirit. It changes everything about us. When we come to the word looking for our ways to do things, we end up in trouble. But when we realize that God has done everything through his son, Jesus, that the son triumphantly entered into your life without your invitation, in the same way that Jesus entered into Jerusalem that day without invitation, he walked into, or I should say he rode into the crowd, whether the crowd wanted it or not. Jesus was not waiting till people invited him. He went in because he wanted the people. Jesus does not wait for you to invite him. Jesus comes to you. Now, how do you respond? Shouts of adoration for something that Jesus isn't coming to do? Some will teach you, if you want something, just declare it and you'll have it. Pretend like you have it already, then you will. These people did just that, it didn't work for them. They were shouting to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to overturn Rome. They wanted their land back. They wanted their freedom back. They had some freedom, but they weren't completely free. They weren't com- they weren't completely autonomous. They were they were under the rule of Rome and the Caesar and they wanted him gone. And they wanted that regime gone. And so, yeah, Jesus, here comes the king. He's going to deliver us from Rome. He's going to deliver us from this Caesar and we're going to be free like we were back then. We're going to be free like we were when we had our own nation and our own boundaries and our own systems. And that's not what they got they got so much more. They got so much more than land. They got so much more than political power. They got deliverance from sin, Satan, and death because Jesus went in and brought it to them. Jesus does not wait for your invitation. He does not need to wait for your invitation. He's God. If he's waiting for your invitation, that makes you God. That means you're calling the shots. That means you're in control. Jesus, you stay over there until I tell you to come in that's treating Jesus like a pet, not like a God and savior and king. John says, I'm writing to you, little children, because all of these things that have already happened. I love that, I love that he's writing to the people. He's not saying, you know, I'm writing to you because you're so bad and you're so awful. I'm writing to you because you just can't get it right. He says, I'm writing to you, and I don't have it memorized, so I gotta come over here. I'm writing to you, little children, why? because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Church, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you benefit from that. I mean, if you read the Bible and you understand that hell is a place and eternal punishment's a thing and it's all because of sin, you benefit from being forgiven, right? I mean, that just, that just makes sense mathematically, but also the primary purpose of your salvation and your reconciliation with the God is for his name's sake. It's for him, he desires you. He made things right because it wasn't about just making you happy, it was ultimately about his glory and for the sake of his name. And so he says, I'm writing to you, John says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Not your sins are forgiven because you made the right choice or you checked the right box or you made the right decision, but because your sins are forgiven for his namesake, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him because he has made himself known to you. He's been around forever, since the beginning, whenever that was. He's always been known, but now you know him. He's made himself known to you. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You know, he doesn't say you've overcome the evil one by this, that, and this. You've done this practice. You've read your Bible enough. You've prayed enough. They've overcome the evil one because of Jesus. Jesus has overcome the evil one. Christ is the one who conquers sin, Satan, and death. And now as we are in him, we are victorious with him. I write to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. It's funny. The fathers, he repeats the same thing twice. Dads, and this is more than just like physical dads, this is spiritual dads, this is anybody who's, who speaks into the life of another person. You, you know what that means, meaning um, you've got a relationship or a friend or somebody and, you, and when you talk to them, when you give them advice, they tend to take it. They see you as a fatherly figure or or somebody who just has uh, wisdom to impart to you. So they they hear it, or excuse me, from you to them. And these fathers are more than just physical fathers. I mean, it's, it's them too, But all men who speak into the lives of others says I write to you because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, John's coming up against Gnosticism and false ideologies who would teach that God is is only knowable by a select few and he says to the fathers, "You, you know him. You know him because he's made himself known. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. I would put a lot of emphasis on the word of God abides in you as being the reason why they are so strong and why they have overcome the evil one. They didn't try and try and try and then one day they overcame and then they knew Jesus. They knew Jesus and God gave them the spiritual strength to endure. Church, we're called to endure read the word. It just tells you over and over again, endure, endure, be patient, endure, be patient. A gift that God has given us through the Holy Spirit is patience to endure, to suffer well. Now, there's only one gospel. There's only one good news. But unfortunately, what we see in the world is a bunch of, uh, of gospels flavored for specific people. So you have uh, when you speak of false ideologies, you have the poverty gospel or the prosperity gospel or ultra faith gospel, or, or, or th- maybe you've got the black gospel or the white gospel or the Asian gospel or, or you know, the American gospel or the Chinese gospel. You, you know, any group that has more than a few people will take the gospel and try to change it to better suit them and their group. This is a manipulation of the word. The Bible says there is but one gospel, even though there's all these other lower G gospels, there's only one uppercase G, big G gospel, only one good news, and that is the good news of Jesus. Galatians one and six, Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, when we seek to, maybe we even have good intentions. We just want to make it more palatable to more people. The Bible says there are no other gospels. The the gospel is the gospel of Jesus. It's loud and it proclaims that Jesus is God and without him, we are damned to hell. And if that is too rough for folks, we pray that they would be convicted of their sin so that they would hear that message as the message of hope rather than a message of condemnation. See, now that I have Now that I have known Jesus, I have been forgiven. I no longer fear hell because I understand that my place there has been taken by the sacrifice of Christ. I don't have to fear going there anymore. I don't have to fear being abandoned or forsaken. I don't have to fear being left alone by God when I need him most, which is all the time. No, now I'm assured that Christ is with me and Christ is in me and that Christ has saved me because of what Christ has done before I ever even knew him. Ephesians four and four says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to teach each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We serve one God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, There is one faith. There isn't a multitude of faith. There's one baptism. We don't baptize in a multitude of ways. There's one father who is overall. There's not a mother. There's not a a, a sister in the Lord type of a thing where uh, Mary's our eternal mother or anything like that. There's one father, one faith, one Lord, one love, one baptism, and it's all wrapped up in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, false teachings will tell you this is new revelation or this is old ancient wisdom that's been that's been unearthed and finally revealed and we're so privileged to hear it and the bible continuously tells us especially in 1st john that these levels these levels of enlightenment that it's a, it's a signal or a red flag for something false Gnosticism would say, well, if you attain a certain level, then more will be revealed to you. And if you earn that spot, then you'll know more about God. And as a result, you'll be more enlightened and your position will grow and you'll move up. And, and, and only a select few will ever get to the, the very top. And if you're lucky, maybe you'll get part of the way there. Levels, okay? Like a video game, like you reach, you perform a certain way, you get to the next level. But the Bible doesn't tell us that there's levels, the Bible tells us that there's stages. And you might say, Tony, isn't that just, you know, aren't you just saying the same thing? No, because stages are completely different. Stages are the same thing we all go through physically as humans, right? We have our baby stage, we have our toddler stage, we have our little kid stage, we have our adolescent stage, we have our teenage stage, we have early adulthood, middle adulthood, our elderly stage. We have all these different stages and we're different as we grow at least we should be when a baby can't walk can't talk can't eat solid foods but as we grow become a toddler we walk we talk we bump into things we eat stuff we shouldn't eat we eat food that we can that we couldn't eat before then we become a little kid we can hold conversations and can do responsibilities then you become an adolescent and the wheels come off and you're just crazy for a little while then you're a teenager Things really get uh, nutsy there. And then you grow up and you try to figure out who you are and you go to college or you learn a trade or you just bum around. And, and then you get find a girl and you get married or you find a guy and you get married and you yeah, yeah start a family and the process starts all over again. Stages, and you're different in one stage than you are in the other. And the Bible uses that analogy for the growth of a Christian. In Ephesians chapter four, verse, uh, not verse five, but in chapter four, when uh, Paul's talking about the fivefold ministry. You know, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists. He says these, are, these ministries are gifts given to the church so that we might attain full maturity, that we might attain uh, growth, that we might grow and develop uh, the way God would want us to, not stunted, not, uh, n- not something that would cause us to be um, uh, disabled spiritually, but that we would grow and mature as God would intend. Hebrews 5 and 11 says about this, we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who loves, excuse me, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, look, you guys have been doing this for long enough. You should be teachers now. You should have learned and attained enough knowledge and enough practice so that you can be used to now disciple more people, to to grow churches, to, to cause other people to grow in their faith. But something happened and you didn't grow. So instead of pushing you forward, you gotta go back to the milk of the word. You've gotta go back to the basics of the oracles of God. Things that you should have gotten long time ago. You didn't, so now we've got to go back to step one. You're like a baby again. You can't handle the solid food. You got to have the milk, and, and start on the milk, and move back up to the solid food, so you can, after practicing discernment, practicing knowing, and distinguishing what is good and evil, then you move on. That maturing process comes from the Lord. As you, as you read, as you study, as you are with other Christians as you are ministering to people as you go out into the world and see the light in the dark you grow as a person god uses all of that to grow you and to mature you it's not secret it's not something that's mysterious meaning you only find it hidden in certain places you just experience it as you live life with god in the same way that your children learn how to walk and talk and hold conversation and, and, and have responsibility just by observing you and being with you. You ever see your kid do something you never taught them do, but they learned it because they watched you do it? Because they're observing you, they're watching you. They're with you, they're in relationship with you. All the same terminology that the Bible uses about our relationship with Jesus. But today you know Christ because Christ first made himself known to you. Romans 5, 6, and 8 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says before we knew Christ, we were weak and we were sinners. Not in a position to choose God, not in a position to reach out to him, but that while we were in that state, an undesirable state, mind you, a state that most people would turn their noses at, you're a sinner and you're weak, want well, nothing to do with you. It says that's when God reached out to you. When you were weak, when you were a sinner, when you had nothing to bring, when you were not even looking for him, he made himself known to you. John 3:16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. John 3:16 most famous verse that the world knows the world. They know this and they know thou shall not judge. That's all they know. Does not say God so was so moved by you that he sent his son to die on your behalf. That God was so impressed with your performance or so uh, tuned to your cry or, or so moved by your argument that, that he sent his son He said, okay, fine, I'll send my son because you present such a good case. He says, no, God so loved the world. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. No promise that you would change, no no shouts of acclamation, no desire for God. God says, I so love you, I will send my son so that you might be changed by him. Romans 5 and 10 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, excuse me, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you've read Genesis and if you've been here any length of time, you understand that sin's a thing because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. That's, Adam's sin, which is what Paul calls it here in the book of Romans. Adam's sin is not greater than the act of Christ on the cross. The act of sin, that makes us a sinner, but the action of our savior makes us saved. It is greater than the act of the sin. Jesus has entered in to remove the stains of our sin and now demands a response. When I say demand, he's not forcibly looking Shaking you, respond. But in the same ways that even if the people stopped shouting, the stones would cry out. There is this demand. What do you say? What do you say about Christ? Who is he? Who is he to you? And what does that look like in your life? How, how does that translate into your life? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I'm cruel to my wife. And I cheat at my business. And I'm constantly doing this. I'm constantly doing that. Jesus being your savior is not translating into your life. I, I, I. Jesus is my savior, and I'm a great guy, and I tithe all the time, and I always go to church, and I always read my Bible. Sounds a lot like the parable that Jesus gave of the Pharisee who went uh, and was telling God how great he was when he was making a sacrifice. But the man that was approved is the one that stood back and said, "God, I'm I'm just a sinner." Lord, you are my savior and I need you desperately. I need you knowing full well that you have saved me, that that what you've done is enough. But Lord, I know my unholiness. I know my brokenness. I know my decisions. I know what I've done and I need you. I don't just need you to come give me stuff. I don't just need you to bless me with this or that. I just need you. See, if we're just in this for the stuff, we're in this for the wrong reason if God's just our piñata and our prayer is just a stick, everybody know what a piñata is? I just dawned on me I'm in central New York, not central California. A piñata, it's paper mache filled with candy, you beat it with a stick, and if you beat it long enough, it pops open, and you get all the candy. Some people treat Jesus like that. Jesus is the piñata, prayer is the stick. If I just beat him enough, he'll finally pop open and give give me what I want. I don't care if he's uh, king, savior, God, whatever. I just want my stuff. The world loves Jesus and stuff. Jesus is a great guy to call upon when you want to justify your argument. Jesus is a great guy to have in your corner when when you want to do what you want to do and then try to back it up with Jesus' authority, but it doesn't work that way. You can't call on the authority of Jesus one day and then deny it the next day. He's either God or he's not. He's either king or he's not. So what is your response? And I'm not looking for everybody to say something or make some big dramatic, you know, display of faith. I just want you to read your word and love your neighbor and do the things that God has commanded you to do. It's really not that complicated. I don't want you to live in guilt and condemnation. If there's guilt and condemnation, there's a breakdown somewhere because If you're forgiven, the condemnation's gone. Should you feel guilty about sin? Yes. Some people teach you shouldn't feel guilty about sin. You should not feel good about sin, that's for sure. I sinned today, but that's okay. No, it's not. I repented of my sin today. Well, that's better. That's okay. That's good. I sinned, and I'm the worst, but God loves me because he's the best. Yeah, that's good. I don't want to sin anymore. Yeah, me neither. But I did it. I know me too. So I repent and I ask ask the Lord for his forgiveness and I seek him again. John said, don't sin, but if you do, you have an advocate before the Father. You have Jesus who stands and intercedes for you. Satan will make you feel condemned. The world will try to poke holes in your faith. But Jesus is your advocate. The propitiation for your sins the one who stands before God the Father and in whom you stand and whose righteousness declares you righteous. When you get the ox before the cart, everything starts running smoothly. Oh, life's still full of you know ups and downs and hills and valleys and all that stuff. I mean, there's still Cancer's still a thing and jobs still get taken away and money's still tight and things like that. That's not what I mean. What I mean is you rest. All of a sudden you're filled with joy. Why are you so happy? You just lost your job. Yeah, but I know, I know Jesus will take care of me. I don't know what I'm gonna do in the meantime, but I know he's gonna do something. He just always has. And even if, even if he hadn't done anything, I know he will. Because when I was a sinner, he died on my behalf before I ever said anything. So I have to believe that if he was willing to take on my sin before I ever gave it to him, that he's gonna take into consideration the job that I have or don't have now and take care of me. Or the cancer, or the illness, or the relationship, the marriage, the friendship, the the, the loneliness, whatever it is. You're filled with joy. You're filled with peace when there's only chaos. Why are you so peaceful? Because man can only take so much from me. He can only take this life and, and, and jettison me to be with the Lord. He can only take me from here and put me someplace I'd rather be. So, so why shouldn't I be filled with peace? You, you start to forgive. Why do you forgive them? Because I was forgiven. They don't deserve it. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah, I did bad stuff. They've done bad stuff, I know, and it doesn't make it right, but I'm gonna forgive them because God has told me to forgive them. 70 times seven times, which is a lot of times. It'll cause you to feel loved and to love others. Oh, we love the lovable people, but what about the unlovable people? What about Putin? You got any love for Putin? No. But what does the word say? Ah, Pray for your enemies. Really hard to pray for somebody when you hate them. Really hard. But they don't deserve it. Yeah, of course they don't. If God wanted us to wait for those who deserve prayer, we'd be waiting a really long time. So we pray before they need it. And instead of just telling us to pray for people before they need it or love people before they need it, God goes and does that. He loves us before we accept his love. He, he intercedes for us before we need or we understand we need to be interceded for. Being loved is a tough one, right? I know for me, it's really hard when people love me. And I, don't, I don't mean like they're nice to me, but when they do stuff, and it's like, wow, I don't deserve any of this. Like, you're so, ni- you're so much nicer than me. Like, you made me dinner, or you did this, or you did that. Like, you're just really, man, you're so much better than I am. And I don't say that to puff a person up. It's just like, oh, gosh, I'm just, I, it makes me realize my wretchedness. And now, okay, now I gotta, now I gotta be nice too. Instead of just, you know what? This person just loves me, and, and I'm gonna love them in return. I'm a, God loves me, and and instead of just dwelling on my unholiness that I acknowledge, I'm going to allow the Lord, you know, okay, yes, Lord, I'm loved by you, and I don't know why, and I can give you a thousand reasons why not to, but your word says you loved me so much, you sent your son to die on my behalf, so I just, I have to believe that you love me. The good news is that Jesus has come. He is the true light of men. He is the light that has shone, shined, shone in the darkness, who takes rough men with no eloquent words and declares to us the good news of Jesus. Today, you can walk in the light, out of the darkness, and live a life that God intends for you, but looks completely different than the rest of the world. Today, if you've heard this message, you've heard the grace of God extended to you, and that grace of God, the proper response to it, is surrender, as we sang earlier. Lord, I surrender, I repent, I turn away from the old, I turn away from that to you. If you're not turning away from a sin to Jesus, we're not doing it correctly. Oh, well, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop drinking. So I got rid of all the alcohol. Well, that gets rid of the alcohol, but the temptation's still there. You can go buy more alcohol. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to stop being angry. Well, but there's something in you that's making you bitter and angry. What What is going on there? You got to deal with that. You, ever, you know, I'm going to stop do this. I'm going to start that. Well, okay. But what are you going to do differently? You got to repent to something. Start with Jesus. Repent to him. John the Baptist, he was, Jesus' crazy cousin, living out in the desert, eating bugs and honey, yelling, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or the kingdom of God is here. Repent! And the people are like, what do we do? He's like, repent! It's not that hard. And they didn't, and they suffered. Repent today. We're all broken cisterns, trying to hold in this living water. And the Bible says, let, let us, I shouldn't say the Bible says, I, I'll paraphrase. The living water that we are set to drink is held best when God is in control of the pot that's going to hold it. If you're broken, you're cracked, can't hold water, let the Lord remake you, refashion you, remold you. Let's stand today. respond. I pray that we would never have a message here, no matter who's preaching, without some type of a response. There should be something. There should be something you do and that something should be to trust the Lord, to repent, and to put your faith in him. I want to pray with you because as simple as that sound, it's not simplistic. It's very complicated. Our pride is involved. Our our motives are involved. Our 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 mindsets are involved and there's this war going on within us and, and, and who's going to win? We want Christ to win, so let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that right now we are praying to you, not because we've all got this great idea to pray to you, but because you first came to us, you entered into the Jerusalem of our heart, you, you came in and now there's this response that is needed. Father, your word tells us to be born again so that we might enter into the kingdom of God. That without being born again, that'll never happen. So I pray, Lord, today that if today is a day of salvation, as your word says, that you would cause us to be born again. Some of us were born again, and then we never got off the milk and moved on to solid food. Father, that might be us today. We might be in a place where we should have matured a long time ago, but did not. Father God, maybe we got past the milk and our feet started to get settled and then ah, the wheels fell off. Now we're backslidden or now we're, now we're caught up in something we can't get out of. Well, oh, Father, I pray for those shouts of Hosanna, deliverance for your people. Father, I, I, I praise you that you release us from the shackles of, of sin. And I ask for your forgiveness that we find ourselves back in them way too often. Help us, Lord, to overcome, to move on in maturity, to grow as a people. That we would indeed be born again and then, and then grow and develop. In the same way a baby becomes an adult, that we would go from being spiritual babies to spiritual adults never losing sight of the fact that you are our eternal father that will never move beyond you or past you or your wisdom. And Lord, may you be glorified and exalted for your people here today. I pray for them. I pray against Satan who would bring guilt, condemnation and legalism. I pray against Satan who would come to try to steal, kill and destroy the word that has been spoken today. And I pray for your people to hear from you, from your Holy Spirit, that it would cause change in their hearts, minds, soul, and spirit. That as Paul said in Ephesians, that everything would be found in you. You would be our all in all. That the joy, the peace, the love of Christ would flow out of us, overfill us. And again, glorify you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you because you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. The church loves you.